How the U.S. payments landscape is expected to evolve is garnering more attention, not just from banking institutions, but also consumers. As new retail breaches continue to make headlines, concerns about the future of payment security in the U.S. are at the forefront. Here's Steve Keneally, Vice President of the American Bankers Association's Center for Regulatory Compliance and Financial Policy and Regulatory Affairs, shares the ABA's perspective about consumer privacy, ongoing security, and innovation within the payments arena. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Steve, just before the close of the year, the ABA sent a letter to the Federal Reserve outlining some compliments as well as criticisms of the Fed's improvement public consultation paper, which was issued in September. What were some of the key points noted by the ABA in this letter to the Fed? Well, I think the biggest one right out front is we agree with the Fed and support the idea of faster payments. And by that, we mean payments that settle in real time or near real time. And we think those payments should be available to the entire payments market at competitive market prices. And also, we aren't ruling anything out when it comes to faster payments. You know, it could either be built on legacy system or even creating something brand new. But we do think that whatever does come out has to make economic sense for everyone. And that means a market-driven solution where there's customer demand for a faster payment product, and it's one that they see a value in. And also, whatever new payment type comes up, it has to be secure and customer information has to be protected. What key points, Steve, is the ABA most focused on where payment security and compliance are concerned? The first thing we need to do is to protect the integrity of the payment infrastructure itself. And that means making sure that every player in the payment system is keeping all of their data secure and all of their processes are held up to the same high standard. You know, just imagine right now in the payment system, if you swipe your card at the grocery store and it takes two seconds for an authorization, you're going to get upset or you're going to get annoyed or you're at least going to notice, oh my gosh, that took two seconds instead of the normal, you know, 20th of a second. Um, I think when we talk about payment systems integrity, it's just not that you're meeting the same operational standards, but you need to have the same security standards put into place. And that's especially important if you're a non-bank. Banks are subject to all sorts of security regulations and requirements and are used to being examined regularly by regulatory agencies. Non-banks, it's really you know, not so sure where they would fall. So therefore, when we're talking about payments integrity of the whole infrastructure itself. We think uh, banks and any non-bank players should be subject to the same rules and regulations. The other thing here we think is important is consumer protections. And right now, consumers are have laws and regulations that grant them all sorts of protections. We're seeing that a lot with Regulation E right now and protecting them in the retailer data breach activities that are going on. Consumers aren't bearing the brunt of any of those costs. And it's important to recognize that whatever the new payment system looks like, we need to protect the payment system itself, like I said, and we need to protect consumers because going ahead and looking at the future, if consumers don't feel safe, if consumers don't feel protected, they're not going to use any new type of payment system, and it's going to be doomed to failure. Steve, do you expect the revelation of retail attacks, such as those waged against Target and Neiman Marcus, to have an impact on the ABA's position regarding these necessary changes to the U.S. payments infrastructure? 
Well, I don't think it's going to change ABA's position. I think it really reinforces ABA's position, which is security is of the utmost importance, and every participant in the payments chain needs to protect data. And I think it, these attacks really serve as a good example of how important data security is and how vigilant everybody in the payment space needs to be. Just look at the most recent activity, or maybe not even the most recent, but the biggest activity that we're referring to, the news that was announced in December, where one retailer was breached, and it could affect over 100 million accounts. These are really big, big numbers, and that's, I think, what's causing everybody in the market and the media to pay attention. And it's causing banks to spend millions of dollars to prevent customers from being burdened by a retailer breach. Consumer safety has to be the lead attribute for any new payment channel because, like I said before, without consumer confidence, they won't use a payment channel. And consumers are confident right now in the existing credit card system because they know that they're going to, not going to be held liable for transactions that they didn't authorize. Um, and those same sort of uh, consumer protections where consumers need to be reassured are going to be key to getting them to accept any new payment type. Steve, you've touched on this a bit, but I'd like to go back to talk about non-financial players. How do you see these non-financial players adversely impacting payment security? Well, let's, let's look at it from the other way. How are financial players, how do they benefit payment security? Now, it's important to note that banking in the payment sector is highly regulated. Banks have strict regulatory and capital requirements that they have to meet. And on top of all those requirements, banks are examined regularly by the agencies to make sure they're following the regulations. So not only are they told they have to do their homework, the teachers actually check their homework to make sure they did it. Now, on the flip side, looking at, at non-banks, it's a lot less clear what regulations and rules and standards they have to follow. And then on top of that, who's checking to see that they're actually doing it? You know, uh, imagine if the FAA didn't have the inspectors doing safety inspections on the ground, and all they did was investigate plane crashes after they happened. I mean, that's, that's sort of the position we're in with the non-banks in the payment system. So are there any specific recommendations that the ABA has made or is reviewing that aim to address some of those risks that are posed by these non-traditional financial players? Well, I think it can be summed up in the sentence, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. Payments are important, and consumers need to be protected, and the system needs to be protected. If you're participating in the payment space, in payments transactions, you need to be following the same rules as everyone else. Um, and, and that is actually the position that, you know, if I were a non-bank payment provider, I'd be supporting that too, because if they're not, they're going to be the weak link in the chain, and they're going to be the, the target of any hacker or someone out there that wants to... Uh, access financial information. All participants in the payment space, whether they're long established or if they're brand new entries, should be operating with a similar set of standards and rules. Steve, would you say that retailers fall into this non-traditional category? And do you think that that might soon change in light of some of these recent attacks and breaches that we've seen? Well, that's an interesting question. I think we could say for sure that uh, retailers are, are non-financial, should be in the non financial category when it comes to processing payments. I think the big difference now is between entities that are, are highly regulated and examined and those th that aren't. 
Now, if an organization is handling or processing or possessing financial information that can be used to access a consumer account, they need to protect that information. Now, if it isn't kept safe, then the party responsible for failing to protect that data has to be held to account. And you know, ABA would like to see all parties to payment transactions following the same set of rules when it comes to consumer safety. So going back to talk about this paper that was issued by the Fed in September, how much attention, Steve, should and are banking institutions paying to the steps that the Fed is taking to enhance the payments infrastructure? Banks are certainly paying attention, and they should be. The Fed did a great job in raising the profile of the whole faster payments idea with the consultation paper they published in September and with the payment symposiums that they've hosted the past few years. And I think, you know, one way that's indicative of that is that, you know, I think they had over 150 responses to the request for comment on the proposal. And, you know, we encourage the Fed to keep moving forward. They're doing a a great job, as I said, raising the profile of this issue and helping to really foster some good discussion. And we think that they should keep doing that. So how soon might we see changes And how much do you think that some of these recent security breaches on the retail side will spur change to happen more quickly? Well, I know there are already hearings scheduled on Capitol Hill. It's difficult, if not impossible, to predict the timeline for passage of legislation and then regulation. So I think there may be progress on that front. Hard to predict where that long and winding road will end. There's an irony to this in that Congress acts when their constituents call them and tell them they need to act, otherwise we're going to vote for somebody else. Now, the irony here is that, you know, we may have 100 million consumer accounts affected, but consumers aren't really fearing the pain because the banks are stepping in and taking the blow for them by either reissuing the cards or monitoring the cards or, you know, absorbing any unauthorized transactions. So consumers, while they may feel a little sense of unease, probably haven't worked up their outrage as much as they would if they are actually absorbing those costs themselves. So what types of discussions, Steve, are banking institutions having about an overhaul to the payments infrastructure as well as the instruments that are used to conduct payments? Well, when it talks to overhauling the payment structure, I think a lot of that discussion took place in response to the Federal Reserve paper. Is an overhaul, would that be something working along the margins of uh, legacy systems, like increasing the number of ACH settlements per day or somehow leveraging the PIN-based debit card network that is a a fast network in itself, or creating something brand new. And the whole idea of creating something brand new is a really big idea to get your arms around. Um, It's not something banks are, are ruling out, but until you have a straw man proposal out there to actually consider, you can't give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on an idea that hasn't been fully worked out yet. So when it comes to overhauling the payments infrastructure, there's a lot of talk And there are a lot, when it comes to legacy systems, there's certainly a lot more concrete discussion about how to speed up or improve existing systems with an eye towards, yeah, if you've got an idea for a brand new payment type, you know, we'd certainly want to hear about it and talk about how it may work. When it comes to things like MagStripe cards to protect or to improve data security, well, EMV migration is scheduled to take place over the next couple of years. Banks are looking at the liability shifts that are involved and you know each bank is conducting its own review its own analysis and is going to decide what's best for them you know does it make sense for a, a bank depending on its customer base 
to reissue all their cards at once to come into EMV compliance? Does it make sense just to do it on a rolling basis as your card stock expires, replace it with a new EMV chip? Or is there some other wait and see strategy depending on what the bank sees with its customer base and in any proposed change to a liability shift? So really it's uh, another one of these things where it's a bank by bank decision on what they're going to do when it comes to EMV. And then Steve, before we close, could you talk a bit about the role the ABA is playing when it comes to working with institutions to ensure that they're adequately addressing payments risks and continuing to play an active role in how the future of payments are handled? Uh, well, right now with ABA, it's really sort of as an information conduit with the, what's happening day by day and week by week with the most recent retailer breaches that have come out. And our role basically there is to try to provide the most up-to-date information and push it out to our member banks as quickly as possible with some guidance and getting them the information they need to help them make their own decisions. That's that's really the, the position we are in now when it comes to the, the current events of, of data security. Um, when it comes to the more long-term approach, looking at payments risk, our regular job here at ABA is we're in regular contact with agency regulators, with Capitol Hill, talking to them about payments and fraud, and especially with the regulators, we want to know what they're seeing out there at other banks, because they have a global insight into what's happening, to help find out what banks should be doing, and also to find out what their examiner expectations are. And, you know, that's sort of a, the dual process. Banks not only have to do what's right, they also have to be able to prove to their examiners that what they did was right. So it's a sort of a, a two-pronged test there. When it comes to working on the future of payments within ABA, um, we have several committees that are focused on payments issues and payments policy issues, and they provide input to ABA when it comes to things like the Federal Reserve's consultation paper and any set of proposed rules that comes out. And it, it works out well because we learn directly from the bankers about what their concerns are and what direction ABA's policy should reflect. And as it's no great surprise in the payments world right now, right now security is the number one item on the list. I mean, current events have increased banks' already heightened concern about all the parties in the payment space needing to protect data at, at all times. Otherwise, everybody pays the price. Steve, you mentioned that the ABA is working more as a conduit of information, if you will. How is some of this information being pushed out to banking institutions, and is there information about some of these recent breaches available on ABA's website? You know, we communicate daily through our electronic updates, our bulletins, our risk management division here. We push as much information out electronically as we can because that's the, the fastest way to get it out to the right people and we can get it to a large number of people. You can check our website, aba.com, for the latest news we have on data breaches. And if you're a, a bank, you're able to access our members only section, which may have some more detailed information for you. Steve, I'd like to thank you again for your time this afternoon. Ah, thank you for having me. Again, we've just heard from Steve Keneally of the ABA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.